Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today is episode 16. We have Gabe Horvath on. I had the honor of being a guest on Gabe's podcast. It was, I think, one of my first podcasts I was ever on a few months ago. So super humbled that he decided to return the favor and come on the show. Uh, Today, uh, Gabe shares how being a broke actor in London led him to the world of software, how he uses this podcast to explore and exploit, uh, which is similar to a machine learning algorithm, um, to kind of figure out where, what areas are most interesting for him to kind of delve deep into, and why he's dedicating the next phase of his career um, to crypto. Lots of great stuff in here. Hope you enjoy it. I'll see you guys on Thursday. Welcome to another episode of Secure the Bag, the podcast whose mission is to demystify personal finance, investing, uh, investing in yourself, um, and just all things being awesome through our amazing guest stories. And today, I'm excited to have on Gabe Horvat. What's the right way to pronounce your last name? Uh, technically, it's Horvat. And, and where is that from? What, what, what in the ethnicity is that name from? So um, the, the TLDR... Um, is it's uh, Hungarian and uh, Croatian, but mostly mostly Hungarian. Okay. Well, so my I'll I'll say Gabe Horvat, but I think Gabe's pronunciation is a lot uh, more cooler sounding for sure. Uh, Gabe and I became friends on Twitter a few months back, and I um I had the honor of going on Gabe's podcast uh, back in I think when when was it? Maybe like April. March or April of this year, maybe, and had a lot of fun doing it. It was actually the first podcast I'd been on, so I was super excited when Gabe asked me, and so I'm, I'm doing the best I can to return the favor. So, Gabe, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, for sure. My pleasure. I wanted to start here. I know you, you've had a lot of interesting life experiences. You talked about, you know, before we pressed record, we talked about you, your experience being an actor in London and what that was like and what that inspired you to go do after. So uh, do you wanna share uh, more about that? Yeah, sure. So uh, after school, um, I really wanted to be an actor, decided to go to London to, to do the acting thing, to go to drama school, the, the whole thing. I was obsessed with it. And um, yeah, I wanna say, I'm still disgusted with myself a little that I gave up the dream so early, but I want to say one and a half to two years into it, um, I just woke up one morning being sick and tired of the shitty apartment um, I was living in at the time, sick and tired of like having to share with like five roommates in this shitty part of town, you know, making like minimum wage jobs. Um, this whole like cliche broke actor, you know, lifestyle. I was just, I was, I think 23 or 24 at the time. And I was just like, this is not, this is no. And, and long story short, um, I knew I needed to um, learn a tangible in-demand skill to make good money with, because I'm from like a regular middle-class family from the suburbs. Um, and I wanted a middle-class life at the very least. I was not comfortable living this, you know, to, to rough it. I, I didn't want to rough it. So um, I went online, literally Googled for, you know, in-demand skills, marketable skills. How can I make money online? This whole thing. And, um, 
a friend suggested I try out programming because, well, you can do it, you know, online and, um, you know, it's fairly flexible, remote lifestyle, yada, yada. And um, the best thing I did was to go on this website called Free Code Camp, which many of you are probably familiar with. It's, it's quite famous. And I started learning JavaScript, uh, started going down the, the rabbit hole of, of coding. And um, that eventually led me to my first coding job, eventually led me to getting really deep into computer science and, you know, eventually, you know, crypto and all the other stuff. Um, yeah, so that's how I got into, um, that's how I started my career, basically. That's a great story. And for, for someone like myself who went down the more traditional path of studying computer science in school and doing all that, I think coding is a fairly unique uh, circumstance or skill set where you can really learn while doing. You don't need to put in, it's not like the 10,000 hours thing. I think it's a 10,000 hours Malcolm Gladwell thing if you're coding at the highest levels, right? If you're like building a compiler or you know working on the Google search algorithm where every nanosecond of response time matters, yes. But for most programming jobs, Especially now, you know, back in the day when I uh, studied computer science, and I'm going to date myself here a little bit, there wasn't the ability for you to put in a bug, like a, an error and Google it and see a million people that have done the same thing before and how they solved it. It didn't exist. So you kind of had to figure it out on your own and you kind of needed more fundamentals to be like, okay, well, what are some techniques I can use to debug and all of that? Nowadays, you know, between Slack groups and Google and all this stuff, you can really probably find out at least what's you can kind of directionally find out what's wrong. And so I think coding is a really great skill for people to have. If you're looking for something to do, to, to Gabe's point, you can kind of really learn this while doing. And I think the important part that you want to call out with your bootcamp is you can literally do it with zero money, right? Or, or yeah. very little money. Yeah, yeah. Funny you say bootcamp, because like I did, I, so I, I started out teaching myself online using free code camp and then eventually other you know, materials like Udemy, which technically isn't free, but it costs very little money. Um, and then I did actually um, decide to go to um, like an eight-week uh, in-person coding boot camp um, to really like jumpstart my learning, uh, which did cost a, a ton of money. I, I don't remember the exact amount, but I still remember it was like all my savings at the time. It was very painful, um, but it was so worth it. And I would do it again in a heartbeat just because of the community and because of the teachers and because when you start banging your head against the wall and you're like, I can't figure it out, you can just ask someone and they'll explain it to you and you're going to learn 10 times faster. Yeah. So you've, you know, you, you spent some time uh, doing some coding in your career. I know we led the show with me talking about how I came on your podcast. What was your inspiration to even start a podcast uh, in the first place? Um, so I was in a position where I had some, yeah, some freedom as a, you know, remote programmer, um, to explore and, um, you know, mid twenties, um, you know, some freedom, you know, low, uh, low bills, um, few bills. Uh, I was saying, okay, what do I want to, what do I want to do with my life? What do I want to do with the next, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years? Um, and, um, I, I know I want to talk to interesting people and I know I want to learn. So let me just start calling up interesting people and, um, you know, and learn from them. 
Um, and I didn't really think much. I just wanted to, you know, talk to people. I just wanted to talk to people. I wanted to learn. I wanted to, you know, there's this explore and exploit um, algorithm. I just wanted to explore as much as possible to then finally find one thing where I'm like, okay, this is more than just an inkling. This is like, there's more here. I'm a, I'm a double down, maybe only for a year or two, but like, I'm a double down on this one thing. And um, that was the intention. And um, it's, it's, it's brought me so much, so much joy. The podcast is like one of the most beautiful things because, um, you know, now during COVID, um, well, I guess COVID is starting to come to an end, but like I started this during COVID and so great to just talk to people, call people up and, um, and make friends. Like, you know, we're friends now, uh, you were on the podcast. So um, that's how, that's how it all started. And um, still going strong, um, kind of like shifting the focus more toward um, tech optimists. So people that are using tech to make the world a better place, very cliche. So that's like, you know, to make uh, people healthier using, you know, you know, medical devices, cutting edge medical devices, or whether it's, you know, people um, in um, such as yourself in the education space, um, just people leveraging technology to basically improve everyone's, everyone's life, uh, everyone's lives. And um, yeah. I love the, so a couple of things to pull on there. I, excuse me, I love the explore and exploit um, framework. You know, it's, it's a common kind of refrain in like in the machine learning uh, where it's like basically a good way to kind of canvas the, the different areas and kind of go to places where you never would have maybe thought to go to before and then really hone in on what's interesting to you. I know, so for anyone look, look that's maybe in a similar position that Gabe was at where you're kind of like, trying to figure out what's interesting to you and you feel a little bit rudderless, like uh, interesting growth pack is just to be like, hey, start a podcast, you know, commit to some minimum number of episodes. Don't start it and then be done after two or three episodes, but commit to some episodes and you'll be actually really surprised. People are much more willing than you think to come on and spend 30, 45 minutes an hour. Um, even for my podcast, I had a pretty, I, I still have a pretty small social media following, but I've been able to get, you know, now, you know, over 15 guests and I think easily have a pathway to get the 50 or 100 people and I never thought that would be possible and so I think people are more willing to come on than you think on the pod on your podcast do you have a favorite like learning or guest obviously you know I know I know I'm number one in your heart so you can exclude me but outside of me was there something that kind of stood out from the episodes that you did that maybe clicked that light bulb where you're like now I want to go exploit yeah, so funny you say that because that's exactly what happened. Um, so this one guy, uh, you know, Gabriel Hines or Haynes, uh, was on the show. Who was a somewhat of a somewhat of a crypto influencer on on Twitter, and because uh, uh, you know, I just I just I, I I started reaching out to him because I was like, you know, this is so interesting. The stuff I don't understand much of what he's talking about, but it keeps popping up in my feed, and it's really interesting. I want to learn more about this. And um, uh, this started. This was I want to say, and in, in like maybe February or March this year started uh, started me on the you know on the DeFi on the decentralized finance, um, you know, going down that rabbit hole. 
Um, and I haven't haven't really looked back since because I'm just fascinated with 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 the entire space. Um, but but that's a perfect example for you right there. It's like um, call up a person that I find is interesting, learn from them. Oh wow, this is you know I want to spend more time. And then you know, next thing you know, you spend like you know 100, 200, 300 hours going down that rabbit hole, and clearly there's something there. And um, then you keep doing it, and then you know that's 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 how you that's how you learn, and that's how you that's how you build skills. So speaking of exploiting and kind of honing in, let's go into crypto. I know it's an area you just mentioned that you've been able to dive deeper. And I think with a lot of people, certainly myself included, it's a it's truly a rabbit hole. The deeper you go in, the harder it is to not be convinced it's the future. And it's, the harder it is to crawl out, to be quite honest with, with everybody. So like, how are you approaching it? Um, how do you like now that you've spent you know the 100 200 300 hours in it so far you know how are you approaching it where do you see the biggest opportunities where do you kind of see yourself how do you see yourself playing a role there um yeah so oof, that's that's a lot to unpack <laughs> there is a lot there yeah so maybe there we is just, a lot to... well why don't we start maybe a little bit um let's do a piecemeal now that you've spent a, a couple hundred hours going pretty deep in crypto What's kind of your overall thesis of crypto um, as a as a transforming force in the world? Like, where, where do you, like, how do you see this playing out? Maybe we can start there before we kind of mm -hmm. talk about where you see yourself playing a role. Yeah, so um, I think this decentralization thing is here to stay, and um, I think um, we're already in the process of like the legacy finance system being phased out and the new finance system being introduced. Um, the time horizon I'm super unsure of, uh, might be five years, might be 20 years, um, but we are seeing, and this is an important thing for me personally, we are seeing legacy players, big, big traditional banks that y'all have heard of, uh, we're seeing them entering crypto. And this is the huge thing. So. Uh, I'd been always worried about like legacy players trying to maybe destroy crypto, um, but the opposite is happening. They're adopting crypto um, to the point where um, they're just, 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 yeah, they are, they're, they're, they're going down um, the crypto, crypto train uh, as well. So um, this is my overall thesis this is the new financial system. It's going to happen. Um, and then as far as my role, um, I am- Before we get into your role, yeah. what's your take on, like, do you have an opinion on, you know, let's say 10, 20 years from now, do you see crypto completely uh, usurping legacy players influence? Like, do you think that the Wells Fargo's, Bank of America's, Goldman Sachs of the world will still even be here? Do you think they'll be largely diminished or do you think there's a complement where they played together with crypto and the crypto guardrails. Yeah, I think there's multiple options. Um, either there's going to be totally new, um, entirely new entities, or the, we're going to see like a you know like a Goldman Sachs 2.0 uh, sort of thing where they are they, they have they they will have successfully integrated crypto into their legacy offerings. Um, but to be honest, the biggest thing uh, that I'm sure of actually is that we're seeing this reverse revolution 
we're actually the second and third world countries that don't have um, great banking systems are adopting and have been adopting crypto first. And this is really difficult for us Westerners to wrap our heads around because we're used to like, you know, going to the ATM, getting money out. We're used to like just paying our, you know, bills online and like, oh, yeah, it might be a pain. It might take, you know, days. We might have to pay extra fees, but it's working, you know. Um, whereas in, in other countries, um, it's not. And because of that, I think uh, we're going to get um, almost steamrolled by second and third world countries um, adoption rates. Um, to the point where I have friends whose parents live in, you know, Venezuela, which obviously is going through a tough time right now. And they're just exclusively dealing in crypto. It's like, you know, we, we need to be able to, to trade it well. We need to be able to pay for stuff. And it just doesn't even make sense for them to use the U.S. dollar. They're just using uh, Ethereum and, and, and Bitcoin, well, Ether and Bitcoin to, to pay for stuff. And um, yeah. And so... Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I think, I do think from a, a, a guardrails perspective, I view crypto eventually being the settlement and infrastructure layer for all internet payments. And I think the, the way the world is going, that's going to be the vast, vast, vast majority of payments, right? And so I think it'll be interesting to me. I probably have a, like maybe a spicier or more revolutionary take that I, I do think some a lot of these legacy institutions will just go away entirely or kind of go the way that like GM and Ford and you know, they'll still be around but it'll just they'll just have a lot smaller influence in the world we'll kind of see how it plays out but let's get into uh, for you how do you see you know yourself as you explored kind of where you thought you could exploit the most where do you see yourself playing a role in the crypto kind of universe at the moment yeah, so so right now I'm um, I'm I'm actually learning uh, Solidity. I'm I'm getting into you know smart contract development and um, and Solidity the is the programming language for Ethereum. If it's just for people that don't know, correct? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so um, you know, next steps for me are clearly to to get a job in the field because there is so much to learn, and I feel like I'm the biggest you know junior of all of them. So I just want to get, um, you know, get my, get my feet wet and then, um, you know, to be honest, take it from there because, um, there's just so many, I feel like I'm, I, I know like maybe 1% of the entire space, to be honest with you, if, if that, so there's so many use cases that, um, aren't even obvious yet. And it's like a, it's like a new language that, you know, I can say hello and goodbye and. And I know I have to at least get to like a fairly, you know, conversational level before I can actually do stuff in the language, if that makes sense. No, hundred percent. And I think it's, that's another good growth hack. Like we're just dropping growth hacks here on the show. You know, if you are a new developer and you really like, you know, so let's say you just recently graduated college or even you're in high school and you're just looking to kind of get into the space, or even if you're younger than that these days, right? I think learning solidity from the start is a really interesting way to begin your journey versus like doing a traditional learning Java, learning Objective-C or, or, you know, JavaScript or, or whatnot. Because I think a couple things. One is you're going to be on the cutting edge. You're learning all these different things. You're learning all these new tools. But I think the other thing is a lot of the, the stuff that, you know, even Gabe yourself when you went to boot camps and stuff, a lot of that is 
becoming largely commoditized, right? There are a lot of people now that can code in JavaScript and React and Java and all these things. And there's going to be a huge demand if this Web3 crypto space pans out for Solidity developers. So it's a great way to kind of learn on the cutting edge and potentially could be a really lucrative skill set to have, even if you just want to contract or, or work somewhere for the next, you know, five to 10 to 20 years. Sure. sure. And so how has, so, you know, you've used the podcast to kind of convince yourself or maybe build more conviction in crypto uh, through kind of some learnings you've gotten from your guests. You're thinking about uh, further investing your energies and time and skill development in crypto. How has it impacted your investment philosophy and techniques in crypto or, or writ large? Um, how has this process kind of uh, impacted that? Um, yeah, so since I'm, since I'm young and since I have a fairly high risk tolerance, I would say, I'm just very, very heavily in crypto, um, heavily invested in crypto. And um, I must say, though, because this is super important, I also have super high conviction. And I think the important thing is to, to, to map your conviction, uh, your conviction levels to... Um, to the amount of money you're willing to put in. So I know people that put whatever 1% of their net worth in, in, in Bitcoin or something, but they don't even, they wouldn't be even able to, to explore Bitcoin, right? Um, and that's super fine. That's, that's a great approach. I'm not criticizing that approach. I am, however, saying that if you're putting significant amounts of money into crypto, you really need to at least somewhat understand it. Um, and um, Yes. So with that said, since uh, I am in between kind of like gigs right now, I do have um, like a significant cash portion just because I feel like more safe with that. Um, but I have actually sold off a bunch of stocks to um, and, and take my stock money to, to put it into crypto despite it triggering taxes, just like to kind of like show my conviction. Um, which um, I think is going to pay off, but you know this is obviously not financial advice. Uh, this is just you know for uh, you know entertainment purposes or whatever the the legally saying is. So my two conviction guys, is very high. Yes, yeah, two guys just kind of shooting the shit. Um, exactly, just two guys shooting the shit. I think the conviction piece is super important. So I think I think you hit a nail right on the head. If you have a significant piece of your portfolio in something you need to have conviction because shit will hit the fan eventually. It always does. It's never a smooth line up. Uh, it could even be a, you know, a, a terrible line down, but I think you need to have that conviction to kind of ride it out. Otherwise it's not, not only is it going to probably um, influence you to potentially sell in untimely scenarios, but I think the biggest thing I've learned is look like investing, like the stress just isn't worth it. Like, Hmm. kind of want to be in things where you're like you know yeah of course you're going to have stress if you're in, in a high risk asset but it's it can be minimized by the fact that you're like i'm going to write this out no matter what and i made my piece and if it goes to zero like it was a risk worth taking it didn't work out right hmm. i think the stress when you're like kind of there but not fully there and you have a big portion of your portfolio on these assets is that you're price checking every day you're 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 um having you're being really happy when things are going well and you're like crying uh, under the blankets when things aren't going well. And I think that stress just isn't conducive for your life because the whole point of investing is to give you more, you know, flexibility to do things in your life, not to make your life worse, right? 
And so I think the conviction piece is super high. A couple of quick things on DeFi, since you know, you're the resident DeFi expert, at least between the both of us. Um, one is on the cash piece that you mentioned, any, again, not investment advice, but what's your take on investing, using that cash and putting it in things like USDC or kind of these stable coins that actually give you a higher rate of return? I know Coinbase just announced that they're giving giving 4% interest on USDC compared to like traditional saving accounts that give you like 0.2% or something low, like even maybe even lower than that. What's your take there? Yeah. So um, as far as I understand, if I'm not mistaken, the Coinbase thing is actually... Um, FD, FDIC insured, so up to 250, I think, 250,000. So um, that's actually revolutionary because it behaves in the same way that your regular, you know, checking or a banking account would behave. So the risk is the same. Literally, it's the same. Whether you put your money in your, um, you know, whatever Wells Fargo account for like, you know, 0.01% or with UZC, uh, in, in, into UZC on, on Coinbase, it's kind of like the same. So because of that, I'm really excited about that particular offering. Um, and again, I'm not 100% sure off the top of my head whether it actually is FD, FDCIC, I think. I think for the listeners yeah. out there, definitely Google. I just did a quick Google and gave us talking. I don't think it's FDIC insured. If it's, if it's not, feel free to cut this out, by the way, because if it's not insured, then I have a different take on it because... Um, because then you are trusting, uh, you are trusting a third party with your money, and um, you do have to, uh, you do have to incur significant risk to the point where uh, you might be better off just keeping it in cash in your in your bank account. However, you also have to know that American banks aren't actually that safe and are heavily under collateralized to the point where it might still be safer. Uh, to put it with Coinbase than to have it in your whatever Wells Fargo account. Uh, that being said, again, I'm not a finance expert, um, but if you wanted to, you could actually look at the um, at the at the at the books basically because they're public companies. Both of them, you could look at the books and you could you could make your own decision. Got it. And then um, and on the DeFi piece, do you have a thesis? And it's okay if you don't. I don't want to put you on the spot, but you know, one of the big things of DeFi is from an investability perspective, do you effectively, in, is it better investment than invest in layer one, like Ethereum, which which underpins a lot of this DeFi, not all of it, but a lot of it, or is it better to invest in layer two with some of these governance tokens like Uniswaps and the compounds and makers of the world? Uh, so like, do you have a thesis there on like from an investability perspective in DeFi? Is it a mix of both? Is it really one or the other? What do you think? Yeah, so my theory again is like, don't put your money in anything you don't understand. So if you're struggling with Ethereum, don't even look at all coins until you have a solid graph. And just for the, so any coins, so everything that isn't Bitcoin or Ethereum, those are like alt coins. Yeah. Um, so don't even look at them until you have a solid grasp on, on the, the two major coins. Um, and if you're not willing to, you know, properly study those two major coins what are you even doing putting your money in crypto uh well well said i think that's like <laughs> that's like not what people want to hear but i think that's the blunt like reality of the situation so so really appreciate you you stating that uh one last thing i like to to ask guests this is a lot of fun having this conversation but you know i think 
as you approach personal finance and investing and even some of the things you've talked about, there are so many people along the way that have kind of influenced you, uh, sometimes in outsized ways compared to what you might think. Is there anyone you want to give a shout out to that you know, played maybe a, a key role in, in the way you think about life or investing? Um, yeah, it's actually very cliche, but, um, there's this very famous investor, Ray Dalio, not that I know him personally, but he talks of this, um, he came up with his all weather portfolio idea, um, which is to say like, no matter the circumstances, you want to avoid total ruin and you want to always have, um, enough money, enough assets, enough cash flow um, to, to survive or to, um, to keep your, your lifestyle, keep up your lifestyle, depending on, on your goals, depending on your situation. And this is something I, I always keep in mind because, um, it's the whole thing. You know, if you leave, if you lose 50%, you got to make, uh, what was it? hundred percent to make up for the if no, 200%. If you, if you lose 50%, you got to double your money. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yes, yeah, exactly. If you lose 50%, you got to double your money to make up for it. So, it's better to be, um, it's better to be a bit uh, risk averse in, in, in that sense. On the other hand, the other thing I just want to squeeze in here real quick is that uh, there's also this thing called a barbell approach where you have 80 or 90% of your assets in like super safe um, assets, like maybe real estate, traditionally also bonds, but bonds are pretty much dead now. And then say the 10, 20%, you deliberate, deliberately put into high risk things. Like maybe it's, you know, startup investing, maybe it's crypto for you, maybe, maybe it's, you get the point. And um, this is also something I really like where um, you're super conservative and defensive um, with the biggest, with the, the biggest portion of your money by far. So that then the 10, 20%, uh, you don't care and, and you don't care whether they go to zero, because of course, some of that will go to zero. And you can sleep well at night. And for some people, maybe it's 5%, maybe 95% goes into, you know, something boring and stable and 5% goes into something more exciting, but it's always about the soul. Like, can you sleep well at night? Because if you can't sleep well at night, you're too overexposed and it's just not worth it. Especially once you're, you know, past, you know, past 40 or something, or maybe you have kids and, and, you know, higher bills, like you don't want that. So those are my, <laughs> those are my two cents. That's great. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. And uh, we will talk soon. For sure. Thank you. Hey guys, appreciate the support. If you guys like this episode, please subscribe uh, in Spotify or Apple, however you listen to this podcast. If you have any feedback, please reach out to, to me directly. The information is in the show notes. Thanks for the uh, love as always.